21. Snappy title. Tottering idols, broken cisterns, and an unshakable kingdom. Um, this is one of those sort of messages that's been in my heart for a while. And for me, a, a week is <laughs> a long time to have a message kicking around inside you. Um, but just things that have been reading and things that have been shared by others here in prayer meetings and the like have, have really stamped this. So Matthew 21, just to, to sort of give you a... I'll come back to this passage in a wee while. This is where, where Jesus has cleansed the temple and he now is with a fig tree. And he's pretty merciless to the fig tree. It says in verse 18, Early in the morning as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, and the mountain that he's talking about is the mountain with the temple on it, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And the original context of that passage was the religious system that Jesus was saying, you have not borne fruit. You have put forth many green leaves. You looked like you were going to satisfy people, but you have not satisfied people. You've provided no nourishment for the human soul. And he says, an end to it. You've promised much. You've delivered nothing. And he curses it to wither and die. But I want to take the picture of the fig tree and I want to apply it to the culture that we're living in. All right. And when I say culture, the culture around us, in many ways a defining culture. But for the purpose of this message, when I talk about culture, what I mean is ways of thinking and living that are encouraged by a society that is viciously opposed to God. That's what I mean by the culture around us. I'm using it in a negative context. Is all of society viciously opposed to God? No, it is not, okay? But I am using this, this term culture to mean those aspects of society, those systems and ways of thinking that are in opposition to God. Now, the, the overarching message today will be positive, but it's going to start off negative, all right? Um, so, so just, it'll, it'll be, there's a happy ending. Just so you know, you know, sometimes when you watch a movie and it's a bit sad, you think I can't handle this. There's a happy ending. Stick with it. The predominant note that I want to give to you is that the church that is prepared for revival will see revival. I do believe it. I really, really do believe it. Culture and society is in a bit of a mess. You have to agree. Whether you like it or not, you're going to have to agree. It's a mess out there. Uh, where is God and where is the church? questions that I'll try to, to look at a little bit later on. But culture without God is a very ugly thing indeed. I'm going to come back to Matthew 21 a bit later. I want to jump to Romans 1 and take a look at culture without God. Now I've got some of the verses on the screen, but some of them aren't. So you should be opening your Bible or you should be swiping your phone or doing, doing something religious like that. And going to Romans chapter 1. 
to take a look at what society looks like when God is pushed out of society. When, God, when, when people declare, we don't want you, we don't want your truth, we want nothing to do with you, the, the way that society ends up is, is pretty grim. Romans 1 verse 18 says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And verse 21 says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him as we were encouraged to do earlier, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's Paul's description of society without God. Push God out and your thinking becomes futile and your foolish hearts become darkened. And one of the first things that we see in in a society that has pushed God to one side is the suppression of truth. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. The culture that we are living in and have lived in for the past few decades has been referred to as being postmodern. And if you look for a, defi- a definition of postmodernism, it's hard to find one. Because by definition, postmodernism says there is no absolute truth. That's the sort of the overarching thing that is hung on postmodernism. There is no absolute truth. What is true for you might not be true for me. And what is true for me might not be true for you. And the way this whole system has functioned is by just totally dissing and pouring scorn on anything that claims to be a declaration of truth. Universal, eternal truth has been pushed out of society by this way of thinking. They suppress the truth. Isaiah saw it coming. He said about how truth has stumbled in the streets. Truth is nowhere to be found. And an absence of truth will lead to all sorts of foolishness, Paul says in Romans 1. We will be foolish in our thinking. Our minds will be darkened and we will come up with all sorts of mad ideas. Idolatry is the first thing that he hits. He hits three things in the passage that are indicative of a society that has pushed God to one side and suppressed truth. He says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Idolatry is one of those first things that will mark a society that wants to live without God. They will worship and give their devotion, their time, their energy, their money, their heart, their love, and anything. They will give to anything other than God. That is idolatry. And that is a mark of a society that has tried to push God to one side. Worshiping the things that have been created. We have an opportunity to worship the Creator. You know, we have an opportunity to worship the creator and we choose to worship created things instead. Paul says it's madness, it's foolishness, it's dark thinking. Another thing that will come whenever we choose to push God out of society, the next thing that Paul focuses in on in this chapter is immorality. And nowhere is the suppression of truth more clear and more foolish than to do with sexual identity. Now, As I was thinking about this this morning, this is what came into my mind. Does anybody know what this is? Yeah. Yeah, if you have not seen the Ministry of Silly Walks, you need to this afternoon. 
takes sometimes about two and a half minutes on YouTube and watch the Ministry of Funny Walks or Silly Walks. Introduce your children to it. Um, there, it was a sketch by Monty Python way back when, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 years ago. And it was taking the, the mick out of the government for all of these crazy departments and ministries that there are in the government and all of the money that is wasted focusing in on pointless things. So these guys created this outrageous concept of the Ministry of Silly Walks, that there's a specific government department set up to look after people with silly walks, and the silly walks are wildly exaggerated in the video, and it's extremely funny. And you you look at that and you think, my, that's hilarious. And then you come up to the modern day, and this is these are recent articles, And you find that the BBC are sending videos into primary schools to teach children that there are over 100 genders. Now, if Monty Python had ran a sketch 30 or 40 years ago about there being over 100 genders, people would have laughed and rolled about the place. It would have been so hilariously stupid, so outrageously beyond the pale of understanding that it would have just been just daft comedy. But it's real. (laughs) It's real. It's not a joke. If if you know it's so, if it was not so serious and so tragic, you would look at it and think this is hilarious. What nut job has made this up? Over one hundred identities. You can watch the video online. It's on the Christian Institute webpage. You can go and watch it on one of their news reports. These these people sitting with primary school children, telling them about all these different genders. It's absolutely tragic. Total and complete and utter confusion. There's another great video. I'm plugging lots of videos today. Um, I don't know much about Piers Morgan, so if I mention Piers Morgan, that offends you. That's, I'm sorry. But he's really good at just, you know, putting people down when they're talking rubbish. <laughs> and there's a video on YouTube of a guy trying to tell Piers Morgan that he is a cisgendered male. And Piers Morgan just going at him and saying, no, I'm not, I'm a man. It's madness. But you understand when a society suppresses truth and pushes God out to one side, then what you get is just madness and confusion. If you could get in that time machine and go back 40, 50 years and tell our parents and grandparents that we would be sending videos into primary schools, not just some wacko on the fringe, but that we one of, one of the, the, the biggest corporations in the nation that we're paying for with our license are sending these videos into primary schools causing this confusion, we would say that's, they would say that was madness. Never happened. Nobody's so stupid. It's so outrageous. But confusion arises whenever we suppress truth and we have a confused generation. Terribly confused. What the BBC don't report and what you have to go to Sky News to find out is that lots and lots of people now in their early 20s want to go back to the way they were when they were born. But they've gone through procedures and surgery and all sorts of things. And they're now utterly, utterly confused and broken. Utterly confused and broken. Who's going to help them? Who's going to help them? Large numbers of people who are regretting decisions that they made in teenage years when they were fickle and not fit to make major life decisions. And who's going to help them? Confusion. We suppress the truth. And the next thing that Paul goes on to in, um, in Romans 1, 
towards the end of the chapter, he says how they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Love the way that slipped in. And they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. You can sum up that entire list with the word selfishness. Rampant selfishness. A society that has suppressed truth, pushed God away, is a society that has epic proportions of selfishness. It's all about me, all the choices for me to face when I go shopping, when I go shopping online. You know, have you ever heard of choice anxiety? That's a thing now, choice anxiety. That there are so many choices presented to that, that we get anxious. I went online the other day. One of the kids needs a coat and I thought I'll go on and I'll have a wee quick look. And I went onto this website and I narrowed it all down to the age and, you know, female and 11 to 12 black coat and there were still 1,300 choices. I thought I am out of here. Like I'm not even going to begin. Choice anxiety. But that, that feeds selfishness. I have to have everything. It's got to be perfect. I cannot tolerate something that is not perfect. It's got to be the way I want it. Selfish, 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 selfish. And as I was praying over this during the week, I just felt God say something very simple to me. That epic level of selfishness is now leading to an epidemic level of loneliness. Because people that just feed and nourish themselves and push away everything that is an inconvenience to them and don't forge relationships because in relationships there has to be a wee bit of give and take, there has to be a wee bit of, of, of compromise, those people become incredibly lonely. Incredibly lonely. In fact, again, these are recent. This is this term. This is October 2019. Saying that the, the millennials are the loneliest generation in history. 20s, 30s. Lonelier than the over 75s. You know, these are, these are large government research findings epidemic levels of loneliness among young people in society with the phenomenon of <clears throat> many, many young people choosing to live alone. They're not, they're not alone because they've been thrown out or, or because they're, they're not yet in a relationship, not yet married. They, they want to be alone. Okay, huge number, just choosing, I am going to live on my own and stay on my own. Now, you need to be alone from time to time. Last week, we talked a wee bit about rest and talked a bit about solitude and times of quietness and stillness. That's necessary. You can't be surrounded all the time by, by noise and by people. But loneliness is very different from being alone. Very different. These are the outcomes of a society that suppresses truth. And if you can't see it among young people in particular out there in society, if you don't encounter that, you just, I don't know, you must be walking about with your eyes closed. Loneliness, selfishness, 
confusion regarding gender and all sorts of other things and idolatry. But I believe there's a revealing taking place. I think, you know, my thinking has probably shifted a little bit on this. I, I sometimes would have looked at society and just thought, oh my goodness, look at the cut of it. It's going down the drain. God has abandoned it and he wants nothing to do with it. And it's horrendous. But stuff that, I've, that I have read and listened to myself over the last couple of years has changed my thinking. God, in Romans 1 says, the wrath of God is being revealed. There is a revealing going on. There is an exposure going on in society, I believe, in our day. A revealing. See, culture, that culture that pushed God to one side and said, you just make up any truth you want to the point that you can make up some wacky, wacky idea about who you are. You believe anything you want. That culture that has said that is not delivering. The wheels are coming off the wagon and there's a lot of very broken people out there. Very, very broken. And they need the church. And they need Jesus. There's a revealing, I believe, and an exposure of all of these things that came and promised much, but delivered little. Jeremiah writes in in chapter 10 about idols. And he says about the practices of the people that are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest. Now listen, just on a side note, some people use this passage to say you shouldn't have a Christmas tree. That's not correct. (laughs) Okay, moving on. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. Their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. The idols of society, I believe, are beginning to totter. They're beginning to totter. The things that have been held up for decades for us as being wonderful, the people that have been held up as being wonderful, they're beginning to totter. They're beginning to wobble. I believe God is judging. I believe God is present in society and he is judging and he is exposing the things that we have looked at as being flawless and perfect and wonderful and something to aspire to. And I believe God is causing them to shake. They're tottering. These idols that Jeremiah talks about, you had to actually fasten the stupid things upright, otherwise they would fall over. And God's, that's your idols. And one by one, they're falling over. There's hardly a day or a week goes by that some idolatrous thing or person does not fall tottering idols. Jeremiah also talked about broken cisterns. He said about my people, my people are, this is, this is God's words through Jeremiah, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. The way I sometimes phrase that is they've gone and drank from every muddy puddle that the world has to offer. Have you ever encountered somebody like that? And they have drank from every muddy puddle. They have dipped their toe into everything. And they're desperately unsatisfied. And God, I believe, is exposing those things in society. The tottering idols, the broken cisterns that don't hold any water, that don't give any life. He is exposing those things. You know, years ago, 
drugs sort of arrived mainstream and all the sort of rock stars you know, were, 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 were taking heroin and taking crack and the, the movie stars and the glamorous people. And it was, it was almost seen as being a glamorous thing. This, 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 this new thing arrived and if you're rich and famous and you had it made, you should be, you should be doing this. But God's now exposing that. That has filtered down. That's a broken cistern. That's a muddy puddle. And then you have this in Belfast. This is the news from earlier this week where you've got a a young man in the photograph, 21 years old. He was a daddy. And he was found in Starbucks dead because of heroin. It's a muddy puddle. It's a broken cistern. It, has, it came in promising people you know, joy and highs and all sorts of things. And now in the middle of a busy city, in the middle of the afternoon, in a coffee shop, not in a back alleyway, a young man lies dead. The two days later, three days later, the newspaper, again, same picture, different headline, five in two days killed by heroin. Society is shaking, folks. It's shaking. God is exposing all the things that society has tried to bring in to give life and to give joy. But there's a shaking and there's an exposing going on, I believe. Royalty being exposed. Politicians being exposed. I didn't watch the TV debates this week between the politicians, but I read in the newspaper the day afterwards um, one of the reviews of the debate that had taken place on TV the night before, and the first thing that the reviewer mentioned was the fact that the audience laughed at the politicians so easily at things that they were saying. There's no respect for our leaders because we don't have leaders. (laughs) We don't have statesmen, powerful figures of integrity that we can look to and say, yes, give me a ballot paper so I can put a mark beside your name. We don't have them. They're a laughing stock. When you think of great leaders of the past, I can't imagine people laughing at them if they were in the same room as them. They wouldn't have, wouldn't have done it because the leader would have commanded respect. Christian leaders are falling left, right, and center. Some of them actually deconstructing and, and recanting their faith completely. There's a shaking going on. God is exposing that which is false and does not give life to people. In, in 2 Peter, Peter nails it with his language. He says, these people are springs without water. Again, that picture of much is promised, but nothing is delivered. There's nothing there. Mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Jude picks up on the same thinking and the same language. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain. Promise much. Promise much. Deliver nothing. This is the society that we live in 
when we suppress truth and push God out. So the question is, where's God? Is he absent? Is he absent? I want to go back to Matthew 21 and look at this, this fig tree again. <clears throat> it says that early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. He wanted nourishment. He saw something that should have provided nourishment. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. He said that, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered, and when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Where is God in all of this? Is he a million miles away zapping things that he doesn't like? Jesus is right beside the fig tree. Now, this is the picture that's just been on my mind. Jesus is right beside the fig tree, cursing the fig tree. He's not at a distance lobbing curse missiles at it. He is right beside the fig tree. He is present with it, judging it. The context, as I said earlier, is religion and the temple, but I think it can be applied to anything that promises much for humanity but does not deliver. The leaves are withering. Jesus was right beside it and the leaves withered as he stood beside it. I believe the presence of God is actually all over society and he is judging that which is destroying humanity. He is exposing that which is not providing the nourishment that it should provide. He is showing up those idols as being wobbly, tottering idols. He is exposing those muddy puddles for what they are. And society, I believe, as someone who just has been alive for a period of time, long enough to watch it and compare 20, 30 years ago with now, there is very much a sense of it's cracking. Mm -hmm. The wheels are coming off the wagon. God, I believe, is exposing it and judging it. Is he absent or is he present in judgment? I think he's present in judgment. Here's a thought that came to me a few years ago as I was listening to uh, Rick Watts. Emmanuel is, is the, the name that was given to Jesus or in, in Matthew 1, lifted from Isaiah 7. Emmanuel, God with us. Is this good news for everyone? Is the presence of God good news for everyone? In John, whenever the Romans came to arrest Jesus and they said, who, who, or he said to them, who is it you want? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. When he said, I am he, and literally and originally he just said, I am. When he said that, they all fell on the ground. The presence of God is not good news for those who oppose God. It is not good news. God with us is not good news for everybody. For those who are arrogant and proud, for those who trample over the weak and the vulnerable, for those who send videos into primary schools confusing children about one of the simplest facts of life, for those who exploit, for those who sell heroin to young fathers in Belfast and leave them to die, that the presence of God is not good news. For unless they repent, unless they repent, <laughs> they will be lost. 
and the presence of God will judge them. God with us is not good news for those people. God with us is good news for people like Isaiah, who in the presence of God (coughs) said, I am ruined. Have you ever felt like that in the presence of God? Just ruined. (laughs) Suddenly aware of your sin. None of us have reached sinless perfection and none of us will until we see him. Do you ever just become so aware in the presence of God, of those things that need to change. Woe to me, Isaiah cried, for I'm ruined. That's a person for whom the presence of God is good news. Because in the presence of God, they realize they are poor in spirit. They realize they are broken and they have nothing to give. What about Peter in Luke chapter 5, whenever whenever he went fishing with Jesus and Jesus said, nets on the other side, Pete, and he did that and the nets begin to break and he suddenly realizes he's in the presence of ruin. He's in the presence of God and he says, go away, (laughs) I'm a sinful man. He's broken in the presence of God. He's not arrogant in the presence of God. He's broken by it. See, it's not good news for everyone. It's good news for Isaiah. It's good news for Peter because in God's presence they are repentant and broken. But for the other people, no. And then this came to mind, you know, who's the good news for? You may recognize your man on his tractor. It's, it's Rand Collective. Um, there's good news for the captive, good news for the shamed. There's good news for the one who walked away. There's good news for the doubter, the one religion failed. Boy, that's a good line. Not everybody would get away with that. They get away with it. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. Is God's presence good news for everybody? No, it isn't. Is he absent from society? No, he's very present. For some, it's good news. For others, it's judgment. And society, I believe, is being judged. Where's the church? And I'm nearly done. Where's the church? Um, this, this book, Aaron and I have been reading this book along with a bunch of other folks at, a, at the, the Tabar Leadership Network over in Lurgan. Um, and it is awesome. <laughs> it's by a guy called Mark Sayers, an Australian guy, and it's called Reappearing Church. And this particular quote has just, I don't know, just washed over me and, and sat in me for weeks. Because you see, the church has lost its place in society. <coughs> All through the ages, really from probably about 400 AD up until about 100 years ago, the church age was known as Christendom and the church was at the center and the heart of society and was respected by all and was looked to as a pillar of society and of every town and every city. But that time is over. And if we try to continue that time, we're going to be in deep trouble. Try to just keep on doing what we've done. That time is gone. Christendom is over. It looks as though the church has receded like a wave going out at the beach and the water goes down the sand and back out to sea and it looks as if the church has receded from society. It has receded from the center of society in terms of it's just its visible position. But this guy says, and he's actually quoting somebody else called James Burns when he says it, he says, to humanize the tide seems to have retreated. The church seems to have pulled back. But listen to this. Out beyond the breakers, the power is growing, churning in hiddenness, preparing to return 
with force. I love that. That picture of out there under the water, it all just looks like nothing's happening. It looks like that Christianity maybe is fading from society, but underneath there's power building. And God is doing something in the silence and in the darkness and in the hiddenness, churning up, creating new momentum and new energy. And the church will roar, I believe, back into society. Not to hold the place that it had in Christendom, but to be the people of God and to bring the kingdom of God back into the heart of society for these broken people that we've mentioned that need it. Church will roar back like a wave. Do not look and think, oh goodness, everything's fading away. God's at work. He's at work here. He's at work in other communities like this. He is churning away. And the wave will break and come back with power onto the beach. Mark Sayers also says, Revivals and renewals always come at low ebbs of church and culture. So when we look at a culture like we've analysed today, according to Romans 1, that has suppressed truth, pushed God out, idolatry, immorality, confusion, selfishness. When we look at a, at a culture like that, should we despair? No, we should not, because that's historically when God does big things really big things. When revival comes, historically, it is at those periods and those times in culture. And I believe, I believe, and I'm, I, I honestly, I don't want to get carried away with myself, but I believe I'm speaking a word from God, from God's word. Many people will come. Isaiah says in Isaiah 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above all hills and all nations will stream to it. That will not be a physical mountain. I believe that's the kingdom of God. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. I believe, I can see, (laughs) I can see people streaming to the kingdom. These people that society, the green leaves of the tree that promised much, God in society is cursing that tree and saying, you have nothing to give. The green leaves are withering and dying and it is becoming clear that all of these things that society has provided us with in place of God have no fruit, no nourishment and no life and they cannot deliver. There is a trail of broken people left in the wake of it and I believe they're going to flock towards the kingdom of God and say that they want God to teach them his ways. They are searching for things. These people that have been broken by our society without God, they are searching for things. They're searching for truth. Do you know, again, Mark Sayers, I was listening to him. I don't think it was in the book, but I was listening to him recently. And he said, young men are walking into cathedrals in Melbourne and just sitting down and saying, can you please give me some meaning for my life? Can you please give me some? My life is devoid of purpose. I have drank from every muddy puddle the world has to offer. I'm in my mid-late 20s, early 30s, whatever. I have no reason for living. Can you please, do you have anything that will give me meaning for my life? And they are just showing up. Again, I have to maybe just crack my thinking a wee bit because I would have said, no one's ever going to just walk into church. 
They are. <laughs> you know, they're just walking into these big old churches and saying, please, can you give me something in my life to give me meaning? Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. People are on a quest for truth. Many will come, church. I believe there's a prophetic element to this. Many will come because they want truth, because society has suppressed truth, said there is no truth. When people try to live without truth, they then have no meaning in their lives, no anchor, nothing to cling to, and they finally are getting sick of it. And I believe they're going to come and say, can you give me some truth? Can you give me some truth? They are searching for truth. They're searching for family. This epidemic of loneliness that was encouraged or that is the result of encouraging people to an epidemic of selfishness, those people now want family. And I believe they will come searching for family. That's why what we do here, small, but so intimate, sitting down and eating with one another, whether it's here, whether it's a meal that Tim organizes, or whether it's a breakfast somewhere else, or whether it's in our homes, family, 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 because you know what? There's a generation out there who are desperately lonely because of this society. Many will come, church. Many people will come. Do we have time to bring them into family and into community? They're searching for truth. They're searching for family. They're searching for stability. Have you ever been on a fairground ride and you're just getting your feet back on terra firma again is, is glory. I hate fairground rides. I'm not scared of them, but I just get sick. <laughs> That's not fun, okay? Sitting there with a bunch of children thinking, will they laugh or cry if I actually start being sick here? But when you've been jiggled, chucked about all over the place and then you get back onto the ground, it's like, this is a society that has just been like a tumble dryer, I believe, for a couple of decades. And people have been churned and churned and churned and tossed about. Hebrews says, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Many will come because society has shook them and shook them. They have nothing firm to stand on, nothing firm to cling to. Many will come saying, can you give me something stable? Can you give me something that doesn't move under my feet? They will search for stability. We were praying here the other morning and Ash shared a, just a vision that he had of being in, being in the woods, forest floor, and this drift of leaves blowing around, these dead leaves. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm loving this because this is, <laughs> this is what's been on my mind, these leaves. Dead leaves blowing around, but underneath the dead leaves there were train tracks, solid, immovable, going somewhere. There is stability to be found, church. Society blows these leaves all around the place, but there is stability. There is solidity to be found. It is in the unshakable kingdom of God. They are searching for stability. They are searching for presence. We sang of it earlier. I was going to text the guys earlier and say, sing a song about presence. And then I thought, no, they'll know. (laughs) They'll know. They're searching for presence. Many will come. Listen to me, church. I believe I'm speaking more than just a few opinions. Many will come searching for presence. 
Love this verse in Zechariah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take their hold of the robe of one Jew, one child of God. Bring that up into the New Testament. One Christian, one follower of Jesus. And say, let us go with you because we've heard that God is with you. I've had that in my my heart for years, that verse. Many will come because society is shaken and they will come and say, we've heard that God is here. That there's presence here. Can we come with you? Can we come with you? They're searching for presence and they're searching for Jesus. Love this picture in John 12. It's a hinge moment in John's gospel. It's one of the biggest moments in John's entire gospel. These Greek guys come to Philip and they say, Sir, we'd like to see Jesus. I can hear that in society. I can hear it. Many will come. We'd like to see Jesus. And you know what, church? If we're doing consumer church, which is an empty pile of garbage, mm-hmm. just trying to put on the best show in town. When they come and say, we'd like to see Jesus, they won't see him. If we try to do what we've done for hundreds of years, they won't see him. We must be the people of the presence. Mm-hmm. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 gets exasperated with the Corinthians and he says to them, do you not know who you are? <laughs> You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is in you. Many will come and they'll have heard the name Jesus. In the Muslim world, many are seeing Jesus in dreams and they're saying to each other quietly in back streets and alleyways, have you seen the man in white? I saw the man in white in my dreams. Have you seen the man in white? This is happening. And people will come, can you tell me about Jesus? I'd like to see Jesus. I'd like to see Jesus. Church, are we ready? Would the real church please stand up? <laughs> you know, stand up because many will come. Now, note this, write this down in your journal. Many will come. We'll see it, I believe, in our lifetime. We will see it because there's an epidemic in society loneliness, mental health, sexual confusion, broken relationships, damaged, hurt children. You're going to see it in your lifetime and you need to get ready for it. There are times lately that I've thought about about preparing myself for it by going and studying again, by going and and equipping myself, the way Linda has done with the counselling, going and doing something like that and equipping myself because I can see what's coming and we're not ready. (laughs) We need to get equipped because there's there's a broken world out there that needs to see Jesus, needs to encounter the presence of God. He stood at the fig tree and he says hell with you. (laughs) Your green leaves promised much and have delivered little. You're going to die. And when people see the leaves falling off the tree, they will come to the mountain of God. They will come to the kingdom of God. And they'll say, sir, we'd like to see Jesus. Let's worship him. I really want to worship him. Hallelujah.